1420 WBSM presents Ray Lance of the USA Wealth Group. It's time to get your finances in order. MoneyWise starts now. Good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to MoneyWise. MoneyWise, as you know, is brought to you every Sunday morning by USA Wealth Group. We are in the business of helping people. We like to show people how they can protect their family and how they can protect their money. So thank you so much for listening. And I'd like to introduce my very special guest. I get to see her once or twice a week, Attorney Tenny Lance. Good morning, Tenny. Oh, more often than that. Good morning, morning, everyone. That That was just a little little plunge. Well, we've had some uh, great adventures together over the years, haven't we, Tenny? Oh, we've done a lot of interesting travel, yes. So now you get to share the adventure of being on the radio. Well, today we're going to talk about estate planning mistakes and how to protect yourself and boy you know there's nothing more important than having some kind of a plan we've got some really interesting stories to tell not only from famous celebrities who did it right or didn't do it right but you've got a a lot of stories from your own experience working with clients don't you Tenny? (laughs) yes it's been interesting (laughs) it's a very interesting business you know, sometimes in the past I've asked the question on this show, if something were to change in your life that would make a difference, and if we were talking a year from now or three years from now, what has to have changed in your life or have happened in your life for you to be satisfied with what your experience is, what your problem was that you needed to solve? What do you need to do to solve some issue or some problem? But I'm going to ask the question a little bit differently this morning. And it's a general question, Tenny, but I think it's something that everybody needs to think about. If you were to die one year from today, would you be prepared? Would your family know what your wishes are? Would your estate be handled the way you want it to be handled? Basically, are you prepared? And if you're not, if you can't answer those questions that everything has been taken care of and organized and arranged, then what are you going to do in the next few months to think about preparing yourself and protecting your family well and the the question really is not so much a year from now but what if happened something happened unexpectedly or suddenly um, then it may be too late and that's very scary well it's true and um, right now 55 percent of all Americans die without any kind of an estate plan which is amazing actually that number is lower than I thought uh, the numbers that we used to quote was uh, at least two-thirds of Americans never had an estate plan. Yep, and some of but the statistics... Whatever the number is, it's high. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So it's estimated that one in four Americans over the age of 75 don't even have a will or a trust or anything. And um, to come back to what you were just saying, 92% of American adults under the age of 35 don't have an estate plan. Oh, right. I mean, uh, it's so scary, the number of families that are out there without any plans for an emergency that might occur in their family, how to take care of children, who's going to take care of them, how their finances will be handled, all of those things. Well, I'm going to ask you a series of questions as well. If you have a child who's 18 years of age, and they're now legally an adult in Massachusetts, and they're going off to college, should they have some kind of an estate plan or estate planning documents? They absolutely should because the parents no longer have any rights over them in the sense of 
uh, health care or property or anything like that. Um, so that if they got sick, and we have had situations where young people have suddenly died, um, there is nothing in writing about who has the authority to make a decision for that person's health and who's going to have any right over any of the property of that child. We had, as you may remember, a client um, whose son had suddenly died, and he was very young. He was in his early 30s, and she could not find any uh, place where he had his passwords, and he did everything digitally, including his banking. Mm -hmm. And so she could not get access to anything on his behalf without going through a very elaborate court system process. So that's, that's really an interesting question. So let's think about the fact that you have a child living with you, they're under the age of 18, they're still a minor, you have parental control, you have certain rights, but what happens if that child goes off to college and they don't have any documents? So at a minimum, they should have a healthcare proxy because if they have a medical event, a medical emergency, uh, nobody has control over making decisions for them. They're now an adult. They're no longer under your control. So they ought to have a health care proxy when they go off to college. Absolutely. And a durable power of attorney would probably be the second document that they ought to have. Yes. As soon as that child attains any property, there ought to be a property power of attorney in place for them so that somebody could handle that property if, if there were an emergency. So a related question on that would be, what about life insurance? So a young adult who goes off to college, let's say, and right away they take out student loans, they're not automatically going to be paid for, and it may be that the parents are going to be signing, co-signing on the student loan. And now something happens to the child, the child dies, the parents are going to be responsible to pay that loan. So maybe you ought to be thinking about having a fairly inexpensive life insurance policy on the child to cover that situation. Yes, it's it's amazing what things should be done, can be done for really very little trouble and money, mm -hmm. and yet 99% of people don't do it. So the statistic that I just gave was that it's estimated that 92% of adults under the age of 35 don't have any kind of estate planning documents at all. That's pretty staggering. What happens if you have a young couple who gets married and they have a child? Right, and if they have no will in place naming guardians and conservators, the court can appoint whoever they want if anything should happen to those parents. So the minute you're married and the minute you're thinking about having a family and having children, if you don't have an estate plan in place and something happens to you, um, then you're not going to take care of your own child adequately, are you? That's the issue. That's it, right. Well... Uh, failure to plan or not having a proper estate plan can result in giving up control to a court, as you said, and that's that's a serious matter. What continues to amaze me is, not really amaze me, but uh, to make us feel good about doing these kinds of programs is that we continue to get customers, uh, clients in the office who say, I just heard you on Sunday, and wow, what you said really struck home, and I knew that I needed to come in and get something done. So no matter how many times we say it, it's probably not enough. No, it isn't. I'm going to give a few uh, sporadic quotations, most of which relate to our topic today, some of which may not. And I've got some interesting stories that we're going to share as well. So Michael J. Fox, um, 
who is disabled right now, once said, family isn't an important thing, it's everything. And that's what we feel in our office, isn't it? Yes. So, Tenny, do you ever see any uh, family disputes? <laughs> Let me count the ways. <laughs> oh, gosh. People mostly argue about money and property, yes. And it's more common. So do you think there's any such thing as a normal family, first of all? I guess it depends upon how you define normal, but rarely is there a family that we don't find there's some sort of dispute or issue or uh, maybe a little itchy situation somewhere. So I've, I've seen families from average size assets to very wealthy families, very wealthy and very large assets. And I've seen every kind of problem you can possibly imagine. Money doesn't buy a normal family or health. I've seen children who have uh, drug problems and drug addiction who have not pursued, you know, any kind of path in their life. Um, people who have psych- children who have psychological issues who don't go anywhere and end up receiving lifetime benefits from their parents sometimes. Yep. And everything in between. It's amazing. We did a show a few months ago and. Um, a friend of mine, I'm not going to mention his name on the radio right now, but um, he had a son who lost his life by suicide. That happens in families, and that's a, a growing problem in this country. But you need to have documents prepared for children as well. At least the age of 18, they should have documents. You need to tell your child that you know, we're not looking to pry into your computer and your passwords and so forth, but boy, you ought to keep a record of it someplace and keep it in a safe place so that if anything does happen to you, somebody can access your computer and find out how to get into various accounts and so forth. Yeah, especially if you do online banking. Um, so this is something that doesn't relate to us today, Tenny, but this, this is a quotation that goes back to um, ancient Greeks, uh, Diogenes, and I like to think of you when I read this quotation. Uh-oh. Diogenes once said, what I like to drink most is wine that belongs to others. Well, I like to drink any wine, <laughs> mine or others. Yes, wine is a very good thing in life. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, it's natural. Now, But you don't like red wine much, do you? Um. I do like it. I don't like it as much as I like Chardonnay. <laughs> okay. And then I have to give you one other quotation about uh, children. Uh, this is from a very famous author, Mark Twain. Familiarity breeds contempt and children. <laughs> so think about the context uh, of that. You know, when people do come into my office and say that they have a very loving, trusting family and they've done all the right things, I congratulate him because it, it's not really often that that happens. No, it's a fairly unusual event. Well, let's talk about beneficiary designations for just a minute. We're going to come back and talk about documents and the differences between wills and trust and different kinds of trust that people might want to think about depending upon what some of their assets are. But let's just talk about beneficiary designations. I wonder how many people think about that. So if you have a life insurance policy, or if you have a retirement account, it could be a 401k, it could be an IRA account, you have to have beneficiaries. 
I've seen people sometimes who don't have children and have just put down my estate. So if you list my estate on your beneficiary form, let's say it's a 401k at work, and then you die, those benefits cannot be paid out until your estate goes through probate, right? Right. So, Because so, nobody knows who your legal heirs are or what your estate is until that happens. Exactly. So it's really important to make sure that you know who your beneficiaries are on retirement accounts, life insurance policies, benefits at work, and so forth. And if you're not sure, review it. And if you haven't looked at it for a while, uh, do it again. If you can't find the paperwork, that's the easiest thing you can do. Just get a new beneficiary form. Usually it's a change of beneficiary form. And fill it out all over again and just file it again. But make sure you keep a copy in your own records. Then you've got that. So beneficiaries, um, I've seen many situations in doing retirement planning for people where Beneficiaries are not clear or not up to date, and you've probably seen the same thing, I suspect. Oh, yes. I mean, your story of the guy in New Jersey with a sister and a uh, new wife is is just amazing because yeah, that's he one didn't of my update favorites. anything. That's one of my favorites. Um, he had a IRA account before he got married. He named his sister as beneficiary. Then he got married, and he forgot to change the beneficiary to his wife. It might have been intentional, but probably not. He had a long marriage, and when he died, his IRA account was well over a million dollars. And it still listed his sister as the beneficiary. She claimed the money. And the gentleman's wife filed a lawsuit. It went all the way to the Supreme Court of New Jersey. And she tried to challenge it and said, I'm his wife. Of course, he meant to leave it to me. And the Supreme Court said, no, he had a beneficiary named. That's who gets the money. So it does happen sometimes that people you don't intend will end up receiving your money. So beneficiaries are really important. Uh, We can help you review that. We can help you get the necessary forms to make the changes. And uh, generally, there's no cost even to do that. So take advantage of that opportunity. So, Tenny, um, let's talk for a minute about the differences between wills and trusts. Uh, Tell me what a will does, first of all. Well, it still surprises me that when people come into the office and they say, oh, I'm all set, I have a will, and I say, well, you know that the will needs to go through probate court. It doesn't do anything on its own. They are utterly amazed. They think that by doing a will that um, everything will be settled at uh, some family meeting after their death and things will go on their way and no court is involved. But a will, as we've said for years and years and years, is nothing but a ticket to probate court. Do you ever see funny things written in wills? Uh, not very often, no. Oh. Well, I'm going to give you one that was in a, in a will from a gentleman named Anthony Scott. He wrote in his last will and testament, To my first wife, Sue, whom I always promised to mention in my will. Hello, Sue. <laughs> well, you have a friend who wanted something written into her will, and you said, oh, no, you can't do that. Yeah, I have to tell that story one more time. I'm, I'm, I apologize if you've heard it before, but it's a great story. <laughs> I have a, a very good uh, woman friend. Um, she's no longer with us, but she got divorced from her husband, and they had parrots together. They had, I forgot, four or five parrots. They had to divide the parrots under their divorce decree. 
but the divorce also said if one of them should die, they had to have language in their own will or their own estate plan that the parrots would go back to the original or the other spouse so all the parrots could be reunited. And people should understand that parrots have very long lives. Yeah, You're saying parrots, not parents. <laughs> pa- parrots. Uh, 80 years. Parrots can live to be 80 years. Yeah. So Longer. they were important in that couple. Yeah, they were very important. They didn't have children together. They had parrots. Maybe that's not a bad decision either sometimes. <laughs> Except the parrots would say. <laughs> not some nice things sometimes. Well, she taught the parrots some interesting things. Yes. <laughs> she would go, for example, woo, 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 and the parrot would respond, Indians. <laughs> she taught them to do that. Or one parrot would say, where's the, and the other parrot would say, cow, meow, not meow, whatever a cow says. <laughs> Yeah, or she would she would make a mooing noise to the parrot, and the parrot would say, "Where's the cow?" <laughs> so yeah, parrots are very smart; they live a long time. So she had to write in her trust that she did. I I did a trust for her at the time. Um, in the event of my death, then these parrots will go back to my ex-husband, and she wanted to write in her trust language that said. I leave my parrots to my ex-husband as long as he's not living with the whore that he left me for. <laughs> and I said, you can't write that. She says, no, I want that in my trust. And exactly I said, that word. I said, your trust could be sued for slander. I don't care. I want that in my trust. So we put it in her trust. So you can put uh, several things in, but sometimes people make mistakes, especially if they try to do their own will, Right. Do you ever have people come in the office that have done their own will, Tenny? Oh, we have a client now who uh, tried to do what's called a codicil or an amendment to the will, and he did it in handwriting, uh, which is not allowed by the court. And he um, also had as witnesses the two people he was now changing to be the beneficiaries, and the court would just never buy that. Well, no, you can't have – you have to have disinterested parties as witnesses in a will, don't you? Right. You can't name people who are also, you can't have as witnesses people who are also named as beneficiaries. Right. There's like a built-in conflict of interest. But um, this is, there's a funny name for handwritten wills. Is it a holographic will or something like that? Yes. Okay. Not a good plan, not a good idea to draft your own will any more than it's a good idea to go online and try to diagnose what your medical problem is. And it has to be notarized and it has to be witnessed as you said, by disinterested people. And the witnesses have to be in the presence of the notary all at the same time, all the parties at the same time? Right. Okay, so... In case they might um, thereafter have to testify in court that they all witnessed that this person was uh, capable and uh, understood what she, she or he were doing. Mentally competent. I wonder how many wills have been written by uh, and signed by somebody who wasn't really fully mentally competent. And I guess that leads to challenges sometimes, doesn't it? Well, yes, and it, it leads to questions about the notary. Hmm. Well, somebody in, in England wrote a, a, a um, bequest to the Royal Society for the Prevention of Birds. <laughs> he meant it to be the protection of birds, but he wrote the Royal Society for the Prevention of Birds. So that's what happens sometimes when you try to do your own documents too, doesn't it? <laughs> I guess. This, I get for some reason this obscure thing. Um, There's another will written in England by a lady named Sarah Clark. 
In my will, I leave to my daughter, I leave one dollar for the kindness and love she has never shown me. <laughs> but the other one that I like too, which also came out of England, I give to the Stonyhurst Jesuits the sum of 500 pounds for the purchase of thermal underwear. <laughs> so immediately you start thinking about the Jesuits running around with these long robes and maybe they're cold underneath. <laughs> I don't so, think I'll go there. <laughs> no, we won't go there. All right, so let's go back to the subject of wills versus trust. So a will is a legal document and basically describes who's going to receive your property and when. Well, it does two things. It names somebody to be what is now known as personal representative. Um, so many people still use the word executor or executrice for a female, and those words aren't used in Massachusetts anymore. Uh, the new term is politically and sexually correct as personal representative. A gender-neutral so, person. I beg your pardon? A gender-neutral person. Yes. So. And uh, that person is the person you want to administer the will or to distribute your assets after appointment by the court. And then the second thing it does is to identify who you want your goods and property to go to. So I name my eunuch lawyer to be the personal representative of my will, who's truly gender neutral. Yes. Never mind. All right. So let's come back to wills. Um, so one of the problems with wills is that they become a public document at some point in time. Absolutely. As soon as they're filed with a probate court. All right. And does that mean that Anybody could go into probate court and get a copy of the will? Yes, if you know where that person's will would have been probated. Uh, all those records are public. You can go in and, and uh, get those uh, files out of the court system and not, not take them out, but you can uh, go to a place where you can read them and copy them and all those sorts of things. So everybody would know your business. So if you have only a will, it can become a public document. And I suppose because it's filed in the public, if somebody has a problem and they think they were left out and they were entitled to something, it would be much easier for them to get a copy of the will to challenge it, to attack it. Yes. And um, how long does it take in Massachusetts, for example, to go through probate? Well, the answer is it depends. It depends in part on the court system. Each county has its own probate court. Okay. So in Bristol County, they're pretty efficient. You can um, have a personal representative, representative appointed usually within about three months or so. Um, in some other counties, it takes longer. And if there is real estate involved, the um, estate can take longer and can be at least a year in settlement. All right. What happens if you have property in more than one state? Is that a problem when you have a will? It's not a problem. It's an opportunity for lawyers because uh, um, you must open so-called a probate in the state in which you were a resident, mm -hmm. in the county in which you were a resident, and then you get to do a probate in the location of all of those other pieces of property, particular real, particularly real estate. So if I um, have a small um, place in New Hampshire and I have a timeshare in Florida, then if I just had a will, my family would get the joy of doing probates in three different places. Okay. 
Well, that's important to know. And contrasting that, so we know that there's some issues if you have just a will, and maybe if I could generalize, maybe it's okay to do a will if you have relatively small assets. But if you have um, a house, a real estate, um, probably, what, a couple hundred thousand dollars or more of assets, then you ought to be thinking about doing a trust instead. So does a trust go through probate? No. And so therefore it's it never becomes... It's a private becomes, document. So it's a private document. So it never becomes a public document. Now, when you do a trust, do you have any uh, language in there that would discourage somebody from contesting the trust? First of all, it, they'd have to find it, wouldn't they? Well, um, yes, beneficiaries are um, given the opportunity to see the segments of the trust that relate to them and what their uh, beneficial interest is. Uh, but we do include language in our trusts that are called no contest clauses. Um, okay. the, the bottom line is you can't stop somebody from suit. So if somebody wants to bring suit against your successor trustee or your personal representative saying that they don't believe the trust was uh, appropriately written with somebody capable signing it and so forth, then they can, they can file suit. But the no contest clause says that if somebody does that and challenges whether they should have gotten more under uh, some uh, trust arrangement, mm -hmm. then uh, if they lose that suit, they get nothing. So we're talking with Attorney Tenny Lance. We're going to take a short break and come back in just a moment. If you have questions about wills or trust or you would like to have your documents reviewed, give Tenny or give Attorney Michael Coleman a call at 508-998-8800 and come in for a complimentary conference to have your documents looked at. We're going to come back in just a minute. We're going to talk about some other issues and how successful you've been at being able to prevent somebody from getting access to a trust if they're not named in it. And I know you've had some experience with that. We're going to talk about a few other things about different kinds of trusts. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. And welcome back to Money Wise, ladies and gentlemen. And a good Sunday morning it is, and a good Sunday morning to you. We do thank you for listening. Today we're talking about wills versus trust and different types of trust and for gosh sakes, the most important thing is to do some kind of planning because most of the people in this country put things off. They wait until the last minute, and everybody thinks that it's not going to happen to me, or they wait until they're maybe too old or too feeble and no longer mentally competent. But if you want to protect your family and if you want to protect your money, if you want to make smart tax decisions, you need to do planning. You need to do preparation. Yeah, the people who wait to the last moment often wait beyond the last moment and have not done anything, right. which is really a sad state of affairs. And this is the voice of attorney Tenny Lance, who's with us this morning. And yes. Welcome back, Tenny. So, Tenny, before the break, I was saying, have you had situations before when you might have done a trust for somebody and then somebody who was not named in the trust tries to get a copy of the trust? Have you seen that kind of a situation before? Yes, we're very careful in our office about who we communicate what to. So if somebody calls our office and says, I'm the son of so-and-so, and I need to know what he did with in his will and, and or his trust, and I need that information, well, the first thing we do is to 
dig out of our closed file area um, that person's, the deceased person's documents to find out if that son was uh, named somehow as a beneficiary or uh, whether that person was specifically excluded under those documents. And we cannot talk to people who are not included. So let me, let me distinguish between two situations. If the person who did the will or the trust is still alive, um, I assume you have to first of all contact that person and get their permission, right? Oh, absolutely, yes. And if they're deceased, then it's a different situation. Yes, I mean the difficult situation that does arise is what if that person who did the documents is now incompetent? Then we have to carefully look through the documents to see if there's any capability of whoever contacted us to have authority over that particular uh, person's estate. Well, there's a gentleman named Les Dawson who once said, families are like fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts. Oh, yeah. I think you've seen them all, haven't you? (laughs) Uh, We've seen everything and in between. But I do want to emphasize that we are very cautious and we have checked with the bar and we are not able to provide information to people who are not beneficiaries um, if they call and ask for a copy of a document. Okay. So in the first part of the show today, we're talking a lot about wills and why people should have a will at a minimum, but there are some issues with wills. They become public documents. It takes a long time. Most Um, importantly for most people out there, um, there's a need to understand that a will doesn't get settled in a lawyer's office or a gathering of family members. Mm -hmm. It only gets settled by going through the court process. And that's really what most people say, I didn't know that. And by contrast, the trust remains a private document. I know also that when you do a will, you only do one original will, right? Because you don't want conflicting copies of wills around. Yes, because by law, every will that you write and have notarized and witnessed automatically revokes any will that you previously did. But if you do a trust in contrast, you could execute more than one copy of the trust? Yes, absolutely. And you have no contest language in the trust. Uh, It does not require court filing. Um, I think the trust does something else, though. What happens if you become ill or incapacitated? Does the will help you at all versus the trust? No, the will has no power over anything until you are deceased. How about the trust? The trust um, is your document with you in charge, uh, with your assets included in the trust, and it names people who can uh, control those assets if you should be incapacitated or deceased. So wills have a lot of... um usefulness, especially if you're a very young person. You probably ought to start out with a will, maybe. But when you start to have children or accumulate assets, then you ought to be thinking about doing a trust. Let me come back to the issue of children for just a minute. If you have a will and the parent should die and you're going to name children um, or you're going to name a guardian for the children, let's say, to watch out for them, Is it easier to do that in a trust, or do you also provide in a trust um, who would handle uh, assets and matters for the children? 
Well, the answer to that is actually complicated because okay. the only entity that can appoint a guardian or a conservator is a probate court. Okay. So, um, if if there if you say in your will that so and so is to be appointed guardian and that's your only document, then it would involve court action. If, however, you had your assets in a trust and you named a successor trustee to manage those on behalf of the children until they reached a particular age, then there wouldn't be any need for the court action um, other than potentially over their body for health reasons. But it sounds like then that the trust could also serve as a vehicle for managing the assets for younger children until they reached a certain age, like 25, for example. Yes, that's common in our documents. All right, so that's another benefit of having a trust. So maybe then what we ought to say, or what you might say, is that if you're young, you might get away with just having simple wills. But if you have children and you start to accumulate assets, then the trust has a lot more ability to take care of those assets and to take care of managing assets for children. By people that you trust when you set that up mm-hmm. without going through the, um, the, the court system, which is um, out there and, and is acting in a neutral way and may appoint somebody that you don't like. Okay. So um, what do you do with funeral and burial instructions? I guess that doesn't normally go into a will because you're already dead and buried by the time the will gets probated, right? Right, and sometimes before anybody knows that there is a will. So it's always important to leave funeral and burial instructions with, uh, uh, first of all, to make them before you are deceased, and secondly, to let people know uh, where your instructions are. Mm -hmm. Well, I I think um, burial instructions and funeral instructions can be funny. So remember Gene Roddenberry? He created Star Trek. And he wrote the phrase, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Remember him? <laughs> well, Remember Star Trek? I was a big Star Trek fan. I know you were, and I wasn't. So, Well, in his documents, he put instructions that he wanted to have his ashes scattered by a space satellite orbiting Earth. This was actually done in 1997. His wishes were carried <laughs> out. Isn't that great? I think that's a wonderful story. They must have had to pay NASA a pretty penny to do that. Oh, they were probably (laughs) pleased to do it for the publicity, I suspect. (laughs) Um, Now, um, what do you do if you have animals? Can you provide for animals in a will or in a trust? Oh, animals are so important in our lives. Our three kitties are, are part of our family for sure. And yes, Massachusetts allows you to set up pet trusts so that you can do really two things. You can make sure who's going to take care of them because you can name a pet guardian effectively and you can leave money to make sure that that person uh, has the opportunity to feed the animals and get them vet care. But you need to be probably reasonable in the amount of money you set aside for that purpose, I would think. Well, yes, and mostly those uh, trusts would say any uh, monies that are not used in this trust will go to so-and-so. So I love the story of uh, Leona Helmsley in New York. Oh, gosh. Uh, Leona and her husband, Harry Helmsley, owned hotels in New York, and they were worth a lot of money. He died first, and then when she died, she was not a really nice lady. She had a bad reputation. She was called the Queen of Mean. 
and she donated money to charities in the final years of her life, but mostly what she did is she left $12 million in trust to take care of her Maltese dog, and she did this in a last will, by the way. So it was contested by a grandson. It was reduced to $2 million by the judge because it was just a ridiculous amount of money. She also put in that she was leaving money for her grandsons, $5 million each, but with a condition that they had to visit her gravesite uh, once a year. And how do you ever enforce something like that? So you don't put stupid things that really can't be enforced, do you? Hopefully not. Hopefully not. <laughs> uh, well, um, here's a quotation from W.C. Fields that I want to give you. All the men in my family were bearded, and most of the women. <laughs> oh, gosh. I won't, I won't say what I was going to say about your poor old aunt. Okay, no, we won't do that. I remember that you told that story once, so we won't do that again. Um, we hated to kiss her. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking with Attorney Tenny Lance. Uh, occasionally we share a few personal family stories as well, don't we, Tenny? And by the way, you can reach Tenny if you want at 508-998-8800. And Tenny, I know your office provides a lot of interesting publications and brochures and things that are useful for people to think about. But most importantly, they ought to, you know, come in to, to prepare their own estate plan. Right. And, you know, when I meet with people, I, I say over and over again, I don't know why everyone doesn't have a living trust. Mm -hmm. It is such an easy document to utilize um, after a death, and uh, it makes everybody's life so much easier. I want to give a, a quotation from Irma, or not Irma, yeah, it is Irma Bombeck. This, is, uh, this goes out to you, Mike, Attorney Michael Coleman. Uh, Mike happens to be an only child in his family. The advantage of having only one child is that you always know who did it. <laughs> Here, you can take that. Give that to Mike when you go back to the office. He's such an honorable person, though. I'm sure he never did anything. Well, we don't ever know. Well, so we've talked a little bit about wills and wills versus trusts, and trust sounds like the preferable alternative, but there are many different kinds of trusts, aren't there? There are trusts for different reasons. Well, yes. The trust we're talking about is uh, a revocable trust, and it's called a living trust because you prepare it and sign it and fund it while you're alive. And you can um, make changes in it? And it becomes irrevocable upon your death. Okay. Um, so there are other kinds of trusts for all kinds of purposes, and I'm not sure where you're going with that, which ones to talk about. Well, let's talk about um, a revocable trust is what most people do for estate planning, right? Right. And you can change it. You can amend it if you need to. Yes. You can revoke it. You can amend it. Um, you can restate it. Uh, all those sorts of things. And um, you do that occasionally? You make amendments to people's trusts? Oh, very often. One thing that our office does is to offer a free review of um, estate planning documents every three to five years. And um, when that happens, we always ask people, is your family the same? Do you have any additions, any changes? Do you have any uh other people that you want to name as trustees, all those sorts of things. So, yes, we do 
amendments and restatements fairly often. But there's one other really important reason to do a revocable trust as opposed to a simple will, and that's taxes. So if you have a larger estate, if you have more than $1 million in assets in a married couple situation, let's say, it's far more important to do a trust than it is to do simple wills. Yes, because with a revocable trust set up the way ours are, then if you have an estate and you are a couple and you have more than uh, $1 million but less than $2 million, we can protect your estate from the estate tax. And it's not possible to do that with a simple will. So... um for tax reasons, if you have more than a million dollars, you can shelter two million dollars if you do a revocable living trust. Right. And what people are often amazed at is that, lo and behold, their estate has grown to more than one million dollars. Mm-hmm. Many people come in and they say, well, I just have a house and uh, a retirement plan, um, some sort of an IRA or a 401k or whatever. Um, and I say, well, do you have life insurance? Well, yes, we have quite a bit of that. And, and retirement um, accounts. And- yep. Do you have bank accounts? Well, yeah, but they're all named to belong to somebody else after our death. None of that matters. It's no. all counted as part of your estate. Yep, exactly. So uh, the estate tax is expensive. Let's say you had $1.5 million in total assets and you do simple wills. When the first spouse dies, everything goes to the other spouse typically. That person now dies, they only get a $1 million exemption. Uh, Half a million dollar taxable estate is probably going to trigger $50,000 of tax to Massachusetts. What a waste. Exactly. So, but the difference between an irrevocable trust is that when you do an irrevocable trust, um, you can't make changes in it later, and you name somebody else to be the trustee of it, correct? Usually that's the case, yes. So what are some of the reasons that people would want to do an irrevocable trust? Well, um, it depends on the trust, obviously. If you have life insurance and you want it to be certain that that life insurance was not going to be counted as part of your estate, then um, you can prepare what is called an irrevocable life insurance trust and then somebody else is the trustee, and you don't actually own that policy. The trust owns it, and then it is not counted as part of your estate upon your death. So no taxes. Life insurance proceeds in general, nobody ever pays income tax when they receive the money. I get asked that question a lot. But it's counted as part of the estate tax estate. Of the person who died. Of the per yes. So... If you keep life insurance in your name and then you die, even though the proceeds go to another beneficiary and there's no income tax, it's included in your estate for calculating estate tax. Exactly, and many people don't understand that. So we always um, recommend that if people have larger estates that you have an irrevocable life insurance trust instead. What about for um, asset protection for nursing homes? Do you use irrevocable trust for that, different kind maybe? Well, yes. Um, Generally, the irrevocable trust is called an irrevocable income-only trust. And um, that kind of trust has somebody else, not you, as the trustee. And you also are not the beneficiary, other than for any income that that trust might produce. 
So it is often used for people to protect their houses uh, because they are really partial to their house and they want to make sure that their children will uh, inherit that house upon Mm -hmm. their death. So that's the thing they really want to protect. And by the way, if you have provision in your trust or your will or whatever your estate planning is for charities, it can be a church or a public charity, those amounts are deducted from the total value of your estate and won't be subjected to the mass estate tax. Right. So we've had uh, a number of uh, unmarried uh, clients come in and want to leave their estate to charities, even though it's a large estate, so that their their estate will not pay estate taxes. But that's not usually the case if it's a couple with children, because they usually want to have their assets passed down to their own family. Mm-hmm. Well, do you like having large families or small families? What do you think is best? What do you mean by like? What I'm, do you, I'm what do you think built is better, in, having a large family? What's the definition of... All right, never mind. I'll just go right to the point. <laughs> uh, Zaza Gabor once said, I believe in large families. Every woman should have at least three husbands. <laughs> I guess that's pretty well, common today, isn't it? Well, I hope not, but I guess. Well, then, by contrast, Barbara Bush said, cherish your human connections, your relationships with friends and family. That's a nicer quotation, isn't it? Yes. Um, So, Tenny, we've talked a little bit about revocable trust and a little bit about irrevocable trust, and that can be done to help protect people's assets from a nursing home. Uh, the Irrevocable Income Only Trust, and you do those in your office also. Yes, we do. So I guess when you sit down with somebody, you have to ask, what is your main purpose in being here today? Do you want to make sure your assets are going to your family? Are you looking to protect assets from the nursing home? Do you have a large life insurance policy that might need to be in a separate trust? So there's a lot of different kinds of questions that need to be asked, aren't there? Yes, and what I enjoy really is to review with the client what we call our client intake form. And that's a multi-page form that tells us what this person is all about, how many children they have, what their children do, and how well they get along with each other, get along with you, um, where you have assets, what kinds, how much, and so forth. So we really get to know the people who are in front of us and um, sort of join forces with them and doing what they want with their assets. Well, we hear a lot of stories um, over time about famous people who make stupid mistakes um, and people who are taken advantage of, like Mickey Rooney was taken advantage of, a famous child actor and later adult actor. Um, Patrick Swayze, who was in Dirty Dancing, his estate was challenged and contested. Mick Jagger's girlfriend died, and her estate was challenged and contested. Tom Clancy, who wrote all the famous novels, and um, his estate was challenged and contested. Um, Even people like, uh, well, I'll give you one example that we didn't hear about. Um, Robin Williams, the famous comic and actor, died. Uh, The interesting thing about him is that people thought he didn't have a lot of money. After his death, it was found out that he had Parkinson's, and he also had a form of dementia called Lewy body dementia, and uh, he died by suicide. He took his own life. 
People assumed he didn't have any assets, but later it was found that he had a fairly significant estate. But the interesting thing about him is there's been nothing in the news because he had a trust and his estate was never challenged. And it was all handled privately. So he did it correctly. He did it properly. So different reasons for different documents. Um, It's important to get good, proper advice. This is not an area where you can do it yourself. And um, Tenny, you've been doing this for quite a long time, and I know you enjoy what you do. And um, if you would like to make an appointment, give Tenny a call. If you'd like one of her handouts, one of her brochures or documents, if you'd like to know a little bit more about the subject, give her a call, 508-998-8800. She'd be happy to help. And I'm going to give you one quotation that I think is a nice quotation. This is from Mother Teresa. What can you do to promote world peace? Go home and love your family. Yes. Isn't that a nice one? Yes. So some of the quotations that we use, um, you know, can be funny and humorous, but sometimes we like to end that way. What else would you like to say, Tenny? Do something, I suppose. Well, do something. I I go back to uh, an article. uh, The issue that we started with is, do you have any kind of an estate planning document, uh, a will, or preferably a trust? And uh, this article says, are you one of the 70%? All the document, the uh, percentages seem to vary, but are you one of the 70% uh, of Americans without a will? And the first question that you want to ask yourself is, do you care who gets your property? Yep. So do something for your family. Do something for your assets. Thank you for listening.